Sira, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 42 The Battle of Badr The Battle of Badr took place on the 17th of Ramadan, the second year in Nahidrai, or the 14th of March, 624 CE. The Prophet set out to intercept a Quraysh caravan that was returning from El-Sham to Mecca. The caravan transporting a valuable cargo was led by Quraysh chief Abu Sufyan ibn Harb. Having learned of the Prophet's intent, he sent a courier to Mecca asking for help. Quraysh sent more than 1,000 well-equipped warriors. They had 100 horses, 600 armored soldiers, 700 camels, and female slaves who played tambourines and sang the songs mocking the Muslims. The idolaters' army was commanded by Abu Jahl ibn Hisham. As the Prophet, peace be upon him, did not anticipate a large-scale conflict, he rode out to meet the caravan with 313 or 14 Muslims, mostly the Ansar. They had 70 camels and two or three horses. On their way, there they took turns riding one camel. When he was informed that the caravan escaped out of their reach and that a huge army from Mecca was coming their way, the Prophet consulted with the companions before entering into conflict. He was particularly keen on hearing the opinion of the Ansar, since the pledge of Aqaba specified that the Ansar would defend the Prophet only in Medina, and better was beyond the boundaries of Medina. The emigrants immediately expressed readiness to fight. However, the Prophet wanted to hear the Ansar opinion, so Sa'd ibn Mu'ad, one of the chiefs of the Ansar, stood out and said, O Messenger of God, we believe in you and everything you tell us. We bear witness that what you have come with is true, and we have promised and pledged that we would listen to you and obey you. O Messenger of God, wherever you want to go, we will go there with you. By the one who has sent you with the truth, if you took us to the sea and you plunged into it, we would plunge with you and not one of us would stay behind. We have nothing against you leading us to face the enemy tomorrow. We are fierce and hardened warriors. Perhaps God will show you something about us that will please you very much. Lead us with God's blessing. These words made the prophet very happy, and he said, Go with God's blessing and rejoice. God has promised me one of the two, either the caravan or the ones who have set off to its rescue. The Muslims then resumed the advance and descended in the immediate vicinity of Badr, where they made an encampment. A companion, whose name was Habab ibn Mundir, asked, O Messenger of God, is this a camp that God has disclosed so we cannot change it, or is it a result of man's assessment and a war strategy? The Prophet answered, It is an assessment and a war strategy. 
Habab then advised that they should move the camp to another location where the Muslims would be in a better position and where they could cut the idolaters' water supply. The Prophet accepted the suggestion and they moved the camp to the place Habab had indicated. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh proposed that a shelter for the Prophet be erected behind the Muslims' combat lines, so if God helped them, so much the better, otherwise the Prophet would be able to return to Medina. He said, O Messenger of God, the people who love you just as much as we do have stayed behind in Medina, but had they known you were going to a battle, they would have joined you. The Prophet then prayed to God for that loyal companion and ordered that a shelter be made from behind, which he would be able to watch the course of the battle. After the Muslim troops were deployed, the Prophet went to the front line with his blessed hand. He showed the locations where certain idolater chiefs would get killed the following day, which instilled additional strength and confidence in the Muslims. It rained heavily that night, owing to God's grace, which refreshed the Muslims' fighters and strengthened their morale and prepared the terrain for battle. The Prophet spent that night in prayer, and one of his supplication was, My God, I beseech you by your promise and pledge. O God, if this group of the faithful who fight perishes, you will not be worshipped on earth. He stayed in prostration for long and rose only when Abu Bakr told him, That's enough. God will keep his promise to you. When the two armies clashed the following day, the prophets encouraged the Muslims to fight and cheer them up, inspiring in them a desire for martyrdom, death on the way of God. He said, By the one in whose hand is my soul, every man who is slain today, fighting against them with patience and hope of his reward, advancing, not retreating, will be taken to paradise by God. The battle started with Amubareza, a contest of three Muslims and three idolaters. That was a well-established custom of warfare. Three warriors on each side were to test one another's strength first. From the idolaters' ranks, the first ones to get out were brothers Utbe and Sheibe, sons of Rabias and Walid ibn Utbe, while the first among the Muslims who got out were three Ansar, Auf and Muavvas, sons of Harith, and Abdullah ibn Rawah. However, Quraysh refused a contest with them and requested that their opponents be the men they knew and their equals. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, called Ali, Hamza, and Abu Ubaidah ibn Harith ibn Abdul Mutalib to get up and fight. Hamza and Ali quickly prevailed over their opponents, whereupon they came to the assistance of Abu Ubaidah, who had been wounded by his opponent. He later succumbed to these injuries. Hamza and Ali killed Utba, after which the battle flared up and the Muslims won it. Around 70 idolaters were killed, including the notorious Abu Jehel, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, and other Quraysh chiefs, and 70 idolaters were captured.
The prophet, peace be upon him, ordered that the killed idolaters be buried in a pit called Kuleib, and then returned to Medina to seek advice of his companions about the captives. Umar radiallahu anhu suggested that they all be killed, while Abu Bakr's proposal was to ransom them. The Prophet accepted Abu Bakr's proposal, so the idolaters ransomed their fellow tribesmen who were captured by the Muslims. Those who did not have the money for ransom could liberate themselves by teaching ten Muslims each to read and write. Fourteen companions, six emigrants, and eight Ansar were martyred in the Battle of Badr. Quite a few verses were revealed about this battle in the Noble Qur'an. Moreover, the revelation of almost the complete Surah 8, Battle Gains, was prompted by this event. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah 3, God helped you at better when you were very weak. Be mindful of God, so that you may be grateful. Remember, when you said to the believers, will you be satisfied if your Lord reinforces you by sending down three thousand angels? Well, if you are steadfast and mindful of God, your Lord will reinforce you with five thousand swooping angels. If the enemy should suddenly attack you, and God arranged it so as a message of hope, for you to put your hurts at rest. Help comes only from God, the mighty, the wise, and in order to cut off the flanks of the disbelievers' army and frustrate them to make them withdraw in total defeat. The third chapter, verses from 123 to 127. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was reprimanded for having received ransom for their captives. God revealed in that respect. It is not right for a Prophet to take captives before he has conquered the battlefield. You desire the transient goods of this world, but God desires the hereafter. God is mighty and wise, and had it not been preordinate by God, a severe punishment would have come up in you for what you have taken. So enjoy in a good and lawful manner the things you have gained in war, and be mindful of God. He is forgiving and merciful. The Eighth Chapter, Verses from 67 to 69 the Battle of Badr was the first armed combat between the Muslims and the idolaters. Allah called this battle Al-Furqan, the differentiator between right and wrong. The Muslims' interception of the caravan cannot be considered pillage or an armed robbery, as some Orientalists claim, given that the Muslim left their wealth in Mecca when the idolaters evicted them. Capturing the caravan would have only partially compensated for what they had to leave behind in Mecca. Lessons of the Battle of Badr We shall mention a few out of many lessons that may be drawn from the Battle of Badr. The first, 
Battles are won not by the size of the troops and their equipment, but by the strength of military spirit. The Muslim army in the Battle of Badr represented a pure idea, firm faith, desire for God's reward and paradise, as well as liberation from fallacy and corruption. The idolater's army, on the other hand, was a personification of religious straying, moral corruption, and blind faith in ancestral customs and fabricated deities. On the eve of the battle, the idolaters were busy drinking wine, while their female slaves sang and played tambourine for them. They thought that this was the way to victory. Contrary to this, on the eve of the battle, the Muslims turned their hearts to God, prayed to Him for victory, and hoped for martyrdom. Before the battle, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, humbly prayed in prostration to God to help his slaves. The outcome was a victory of the God-fearing and the humble, and a defeat of the ones who were preoccupied with entertainment and self-indulgence. The second. Soldiers' resolve, enthusiasm, and desire to fight encourage a commander to execute his plan and increase his belief in success and victory. That is exactly what happened at Badr. The third. A commander must not force his troops to fight if they are not satisfied and determined. He can lead them only when he is convinced of their readiness. That is what the Prophet, peace be upon him, did on the eve of the Battle of Badr, when he sought advice of his companions before he ventured into a battle. The fourth. Soldiers' concern for their commander's life stems from their desire for success of the mission and battle, and the commander should accept it as his life means the life of the mission and his death means its end. In the Battle of Badr, the Prophet, peace be upon him, agreed to the erection of a special shelter for him, while in the other battles, such as the Battle of Uhud and the Battle of Hunayn, the devout believers, men and women alike, shielded the Prophet from enemies' arrows with their bodies, exposing themselves to mortal danger. It is not known that the Prophet ever contested that act despite his personal courage, but actually praised the ones who protected him with their bodies. One such example was when he prayed that Umm Umara Nuseiba bint Gab, her husband and children, be his companions in paradise. The fifth, God helps his sincere slaves with his hosts as he did by sending angels at better and by sending wine in the battle against the confederates. God does not abandon those who fight in his way. We make it our duty to help the believers. The 30th chapter, verse 47. And God will defend the believers. The 22nd chapter, verse 38. The 6th. It is the nature of a true missionary to care for the guidance to his enemies and to always allow for a possibility that God may bring about their change of heart. We therefore understand the Prophet's decision to ransom the captives of better in that light. 
In that way, he demonstrated that he wished to receive God's guidance and leave behind the progeny that would worship God. The Quranic reprimand to the Prophet means that another higher interest existed at the time, which was to scare God's enemies and annihilate the leaders of the evil and fallacy. If the Prophet had the captives of Badr killed, the resistance of Quraysh would have weakened because of the destruction of their leaders and war mongers. The seventh. The Prophet's acceptance of Habab's proposal is an indication of his respect for the views of his companions and fellow flighters. This is actually an indication of the importance Islam attaches to Shura, consultation, counsel, in line with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Consult with them about matters. The third chapter, verse 159. One of the great problems of the present-day Muslims is the absence of the principle of shura. Events from recent and ancient history teach us that a dictator's arrogance destroys his people and leads it to an abyss from which it cannot find a way out for dozens or even hundreds of years. The Prophet's acceptance of Habab's advice should serve as an example to every honest ruler, wise commander, and sincere missionary. A consultation, shura, is one of the outstanding qualities of governance in Islam. Conduct their affairs by mutual consultation. The 42nd chapter, verse 38. Battle of Uhud. This battle took place on the 15th of Shawwal, the third year in Noah Hijrai, or the 10th of April, 625 CE. The battle was triggered by Quraysh, wished to take revenge for the defeat at Badr. Quraysh prepared long for that action, and when they felt ready, they set off toward Medina. More than 3,000 warriors set off, including 700 soldiers under armor, 200 horsemen, and 17 women, or 15 according to some sources, including Abu Sufyan's wife, Hind bint Utba, whose father had been killed at Badr. They marched until they reached a valley at the foot of the hill of Uhud, two miles north of Medina. When the Prophet, peace be upon him, received the news that Quraysh were preparing for a new attack, he assembled the companions for consultations. He and some companions were of the opinion that they should not come out of Medina to meet the enemy, but should stay within the city and from there repel the enemy should they be attacked. However, other emigrants and Ansar, especially the ones who had not been at Badr and had not had the privilege to fight there, were of a different opinion. They thought that the Muslims should get out of the city and clash with the idolaters in their encampment. The Prophet nevertheless accepted the latter opinion, went home, put his armor on, took his spear and emerged before the Muslims with his sword belted on. 
Those who had insisted that they should get out of Medina felt remorse as, in a way, they had pressed the Prophet to act contrary to his own opinion. They told him, It was not our intention to oppose you. If you wish to go, go. If you don't, then stay inside the city. The Prophet answered, It does not become a prophet to take of his combat attire, once he had put it on, until God has decided on the outcome of a conflict between him and his enemies. Then the Muslims, around one thousand in total, including one hundred armored soldiers and only two horsemen, went out together with the Prophet. When they came halfway, the hypocrite's leader, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, retreated with three hundred hypocrites, munafiqun, and thus betrayed the Muslims at the most critical moment. The Prophet, peace be upon him, continued his march until be reached Uhud. He stood with the hill behind his back and facing the idolaters and then lined up the troops, divided them into groups and designated the commander for each group. He carefully selected fifty archers headed by Abdullah ibn Jubayr to protect the Muslim rear. He then said, Protect our rear so that they do not attack us from behind. Shoot arrows against them, because horses avoid arrows. Victory will be ours if you hold your positions firmly. According to another tradition, he also told them, If you see us winning and collecting the spoils of war, do not leave your positions. Likewise, if you see us losing and vultures eating our flesh, do not leave your positions. Just before the battle, the Prophet, peace be upon him, tried to lift the companion's combat morale. He raised his sword high and asked, Who wants to take my sword? All companions shouted, I do, O messenger of God. The sword was given to Abu Duyana, a man who fought heroically and shielded the messenger with his body. The battle started and Quraysh were taken aback by the Muslims' fighting spirit. The archers were deployed at the position designated by the Prophet and Quraysh standards soon fell down as nine standard bearers. All members of the Banu Abduddar tribe were killed. The idolaters started retreating and fleeing the battlefield. The Muslim fighters then started collecting the spoils of war they found in the idolaters' camp. When the archers, who were tasked with protecting the Muslim army's rear, saw such development, they said, What are we doing here when God has given victory to his messenger? They started considering leaving their positions in order to take their share of the spoils. Their commander, Abdullah ibn Jubayr, reminded them of the Prophet's order, but they answered that the battle was over and that there was no need for them to stay in that position any longer. Abdullah anhu, and another ten men refused to leave their positions. Khalid ibn al-Walid, the commander of the right wing of the idolaters' cavalry, noticed that the archers were no longer protecting the rear of the Muslim army, so he returned and attacked the Muslims from behind. 
the Muslim fighters, who were busy collecting the spoils, did not notice it, until the pagans' swords started striking them from all sides. There was confusion in the Muslim ranks, and rumors also spread that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was killed. A number of Muslims started fleeing toward Medina, which enabled the pagans to reach the Prophet's position. On that occasion, the Prophet suffered a wound to his face. His knee was bruised and his lower lip cut. His helmet broke and its two sharp rings penetrated his blessed cheek. Although the pagans attacked with all might to kill him, a group of believers around the Prophet resisted bravely. One of them, Abu Dujana, stood in front of the Prophet, shielding him from the idolaters, a rose that would rest in his Abu Dujana's back. Among the chosen ones was Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, who shot nearly a thousand arrows on that day. Also present was Umm Umara, Nuseiba bin Kaab, who stopped tending and giving water to the wounded and started fighting with sword and arrows, defending the Prophet until she was heavily wounded in her neck. Her husband and two sons were together with her. On seeing that, the Prophet said, May God bless you, O family of the Prophet. Nuseiba asked him, Please pray to God that we keep your company in paradise. And the Prophet prayed, O God, please make them my companions in paradise. She then said, I no longer care for what happened to me in this world. The Prophet afterward said about her, Whenever I turned left or right that day at Uhud, I saw her fighting in front of me. In that battle, she sustained a total of twelve wounds from spears and swords. At the moments of the most fierce fighting, Ubay ibn Khalif tried to come near the Prophet and kill him. He had sworn before that he would do it. When the Prophet noticed it, he took a spear and hit Ubay in his neck, and Ubay died. Some biographers state that that was the only man whom the Prophet personally killed in all of his military campaigns. After that, Talha ibn Ubaidullah lifted the Prophet on his shoulders, and the Prophet looked in the direction of the pagans and saw a group of them standing high up on a hill. He dispatched a group of believers to for them to descend, saying, it is not befitting that they should be above us. Our God, we do not have strength unless it is from you. The battle was soon over, and Abu Sufyan rejoiced at the pagans' revenge for the defeat at Badr. This is for what you did to us at Badr. The seeress abound with details about this battle. At the moments of confusion in the Muslim ranks, when the idolaters flocked from all sides to kill the Prophet, peace be upon him, Umar said, O Prophet of God, curse your people. I have not been sent to curse anyone, but as a mercy. I am a mercy sent down, said the Prophet, and then lifted his hands toward the skies and prayed. O oh God, please instruct my people, because they are really ignorant. 
Allah revealed several verses about this battle with which he healed the wounds of the believers and advised them of the causes of their defeat. So, in Surah 3, the family of Imran, he says, Do not lose hurt or despair. If you are true believers, you have the upper hand. If you have suffered a blow, they too have suffered one like it. We deal out such days among people in turn, for God to find out who truly believes, for him to choose martyrs from among you. God does not love evildoers, for him to cleanse those who believe, and for him to destroy the disbelievers. Did you think you would enter the garden without God, first proving which of you good struggle for his cause and remain steadfast? The third chapter, verses from 139 to 142. He also revealed. God fulfilled his promise to you. You were routing them with his permission, but then you faltered, disputed the order, and disobeyed once he had brought you within sight of your goal. Some of you desire the gains of this world, and others desire the world to come. And then he prevented you from defeating them as a punishment. He has now forgiven you. God is most gracious to the believers. You fled without looking back, while the messenger was calling out to you from behind, and God rewarded you with sorrow for sorrow, so that you may not grieve. He has now forgiven you, so that you may not grieve for what you missed or for what happened to you. God is well aware of everything you do. The third chapter, verses from 152 and 153. The Martyrs of Uhud Around 70 Muslims and 23 idolaters were killed in the Battle of Uhud. The Muslim fighters displayed exceptional courage and steadfastness in the battle for Islam. We shall mention some moving examples of the Muslims who died on the way of Allah. Musab ibn Umayr God's Prophet entrusted Musab ibn Umayr with the standard as he had done at Badr. To be a standard barrier in a combat meant a great honor, but also exposure to great risk as the enemy always tried to first knock down the standard bearer. At Uhud, Musab radiallahu anhu carried the banner of Islam proudly and courageously. When the pagans attacked from behind and broke through the Muslim ranks, hardly anyone looked for the standard. Musab marched firmly next to Allah's messenger. Suddenly, the notorious Ibn Qama dashed at him and struck him with a sword at the hand in which Musab carried the standard. The strike was so powerful that it severed Musab's hand. He seized the flag with his other hand, but Ibn Qama severed it too. The bearer's hand and the standard of God's prophet fell to dust. 
Musab then seized the flag with his amputated arms, held it close to his body, so it still waved. Ibn Kama attacked Musab for a third time and stabbed him with a spear, whereupon Musab fell dead on the ground. Hanzala, the one bathed by angels. On his wedding day, Hanzala heard a town crier summoning to battle. He responded at once, not having enough time to have a bath. He fought courageously and fell as a martyr. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said that he saw angels bathing Hanzala after he had been slain. Hamza ibn Abdul Mutalib when Prophet's uncle Hamza realized the difficult situation of the Muslims in the Battle of Uhud, he set off with the one group toward the hill, abandoned by the archers, trying to recapture that position of utmost strategic importance. While Hamza fought, heroically knocking down everyone who came his way, Wahshi hit him with a spear from the back, so that it pierced through and out of his chest. Wahshi did not fight at Uhud, but came there with one task only, to kill Hamza. He was sent by Abu Sufyan's wife, Hind, who wanted to avenge the death of her father, Utba, at the Battle of Badr. She was not satisfied with Hamza's death only, but she also mutilated his dead body, cut out his heart and liver, and beat at them in a display of tremendous hatred for Hamza and Muslims. Amr ibn Jamuh As a man with a limp, Amr fell into the category of those exempt from fighting. He had four sons, and they told him, Father, stay at home. We will go and fight instead of you. He disagreed, went to see the prophet, and told him, O messenger of God, I want to set this limping foot of mine on the ground of paradise. The prophet laughed and told his sons to let him go to fight. Amr fought bravely and at one moment turned toward Medina and said, My God, pray do not take me back to Medina. He fell as a martyr and the prophet said, I see Amr ibn Jamuh walking in paradise with his limp. Abdullah ibn Haram had nine daughters and a son named Jabir. As they could not agree which of the two of them would go to battle, they threw a dice and it pointed at the father. The son started crying out of a sorrow that he would not take part in the battle. The father said, I hope for paradise, God willing. When Abdullah got killed, Jabir wished to see his father's body, but the companions did not allow it, as the body was stepped through and through. The Prophet, peace be upon him, told him, Rejoice, Jabir, Allah speaks to mortals only from behind a veil, but to your father he spoke in paradise without a veil. Angels make shade to him all the time the exalted Allah revealed on that occasion. Do not think of those who have been killed in God's way as dead. They are alive with their Lord, well provided for, happy with what God has given them of his favor, rejoicing that for those they have left behind, who have yet to join them, 
There is no fear, nor will they grieve, rejoicing in God's blessing and favor, and that God will not let the reward of the believers be lost. The third chapter, verses from 169 to 171. Lessons of the Battle of Uhud the Battle of Uhud carries many lessons that are universal and valid for all times, and we will mention some. The first, a breach of order of a wise and reasonable leader leads to defeat. If the archers that Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him deployed to protect the Muslim army rear had stayed in their positions, as he had ordered, the pagans would not have been able to attack the Muslims from behind and to turn the tide of the battle, from defeat in the beginning to victory at the end. This is how disobedience to leader plays into enemies' hands. Allah warned the believers of a punishment should they oppose the orders of his prophet. Those who go against his order should beware lest a trial afflict them, or they receive a painful punishment. The 24th chapter, verse 63. The second. Human greed leads to ruin and defeat, just as it happened at Uhud, when the archers left their positions, snatching greedily at the spoils. It is fair to say that all commotion on earth is dared by human greed. People cheat, lie, steal, and kill out of greed. A believer must not be greedy, especially not the one who calls to Islam. If the missionaries of Islam do not fight and cure themselves of this malignant disease, they will not have any influence on the people they call to faith, because the people will regard them with suspicion as those who want to attain benefits of this world under the guise of religion and revival. The third. The heroic conduct of Nusayba bint Kaab, known as Umm Umara, who stayed together with her husband and sons by the Prophet's side at the moments when the Muslims were crushed at Uhud, is a part of the ample evidence of the significant contribution to the Muslim women made to struggle for Islam. This shows us that there is a dire need nowadays for Muslim women to carry again the torch of calling to God to make the call to other women, to raise their children to love God and the Prophet, to be committed to Islam and its teachings, and to work for the common good and development of society. The fourth. The wounding of the Prophet at Uhud is a consolation to missionaries for the bodily troubles that they experience in the way of God, for harassment in prisons and detention camps, and for death by execution or assassination, said the exalted Allah in his book. Elif Lam Mim do people think they will be left alone after saying, We believe, without being put to the test? We tested those who went before them. God will certainly mark out which ones are truthful and which are lying. The 29th chapter, verses from 1 to 3. The 5th. 
The mutilation of the fallen Muslims by the pagans at Uhud, especially the Prophet's uncle Hamza radiallahu anhu, shows that Muslims' enemies have neither ethics nor compassion. Mutilating a dead person will not cause pain to that person, but it is a sign of the utmost malice on the part of the person doing it. Even nowadays, we watch the images of mutilated Muslims around the world, suffice it to recall Palestine, Chechnya, the Philippines, Bosnia, Iraq, and other places where Muslim blood was or is still being shed. Even nowadays, just as in the Battle of Uhud, hostile groups imbued with hatred demonstrate the worst kinds of evil, disgrace and malice against the believers who live this life with a genuine and sincere faith in one and only God, his prophets and the hereafter. The Sixth the prophets fighting in the first ranks in the battles and direct engaging in clashes say when the companions advised him otherwise is a sign that leadership belongs to the courageous and the steadfast only. This means that the cowards and the indecisive are not capable of ruling nations, commanding armies or leading renaissance movements and missions promoting the good. A leader's courage shall inspire in a battlefield in his comrades and followers the fighting spirit and resolve of the kind that a thousand political speeches cannot. It is natural that fighters and followers draw their strength from the resolve and strengths of their leader or commander. If he acts cowardly in the times of conflict, or backs off or buckles in the face of troubles, he will cause huge harm to the mission at whose helm he stands. The seventh. The good things that happen to man come from God, and the bad things that befall him are a result of some personal mistake or sin. After the defeat at Uhud, the exalted Allah revealed. Why do you believers say, when a calamity befalls you, even after you have inflicted twice as much damage, how did this happen? Say, you brought it upon yourselves. God has power over everything. The third chapter, verse 165.